say thank you, Ashe, so my ancestors can hear me. Good manners when I'm asking them to heal me. Life is like a clusterfuck of hornets, do you feel me? But sometimes time slows down and you can see the wings beating. Blessings, fellow weird and wild ones. My name is Goddess, aka G, aka your friendly neighborhood witch. I'm a cinephile, kinkster, brat, and queen switch. Thank you for joining me on our way back to wholeness. This is our temple, our playground, our life, and our truths. For season three, I will be talking with the fam about sacred sex, the sensuality and healing, and practicing healthy love. This work is for the collective from me, Brenda, and Kay. And there's a lot of magic that goes on behind the scenes. Find ways to support and practice reciprocity for all the dope folks on the show at the links below. Grab your toys, your potions, and your lotions, and let's reclaim our pleasure. Tin Tiny Talks is a global, non-traditional artist-in-residency based in Portland, Oregon, that focuses on the Black, Indigenous, Trans, Gender Non-Conforming, Two-Spirit, and Queer Creative Diaspora. How does it work? Each year, 10 artists are selected as artist-in-residency both from Oregon and from across the United States and beyond. These artists will complete commissions which will be presented during the 10 Tiny Talks Festival based in Portland, Oregon. Go to cravetheater.org for more information. That's C-R-A-V-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org. Bandy Kiki is a Cameroonian entrepreneur and LGBT plus activist. She is the founder of Kikum Consulting, a marketing and branding consultancy, Rainbow Migration Trustee, Black Beetle Health Trustee, and Living Free UK Director. Thank you so much for being on season three of the podcast, Bandy Kiki. Kiki, excuse me. <laughs> no worries. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's such an honor. Um, so how we start each episode is we just, again, share um, our pronouns and then the race or ethnicity in which we embody. And then we go into a check-in question to see how we're entering into the space. So I can go first. My name is Goddess. Um, my pronouns are he, she, they, um, and I am Black-bodied. How about you, Kiki? Um, my name is Bandi Kiki. I my pronouns are her, she, and I am black blooded. Black blooded, love it. <laughs> um, and the check-in question today is: In this moment, where do you feel pleasure in your body, and where do you hope it is at the end of our time together? Well, pleasure. Did you mean pleasure? pleasure? Yes. <laughs> um, well, I've never been asked this before, by the way. <laughs> so I guess I feel pleasure in my mind because I'm, I'm sort of like ready to talk, isn't it? So mm-hmm. I like, um, I'm very into thinking about things and, you know, sort of like, like it, it excites me in a way. It gives me pleasure. But since I haven't eaten all day... <laughs> And I, I'm doing IVF at the moment. So my eating window is is now. 
So I hope by the end of this, I'm going to have something to eat. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, do you want to get something now? You can totally eat. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Believe you me, when I've been this hungry, I tend to eat a lot. <laughs> oh, the, hey, you know what? It'll be like ASMR, you know, for everyone on the show. It'll just I have a friend who loves to watch people, like, eat, like, the sounds for her yeah. hair placing. So you would, she would be on that in a second. <laughs> Well, I guess, I guess so. We could do that. Maybe another episode then. Yeah. <laughs> Just kiki eating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, I, I really love feeling into the body. Um, it's part of my practice. So that's why I like start the podcast with questions like that. For me right now, my pleasure is actually like this like whole channel running up and down my body. I like woke up and there was like a squirrel outside my window and just, I don't know. There was, it's just been, it's a beautiful day. So I just feel it radiating today. The you look really happy and you sound really happy to be honest. <laughs> like you sound super happy at peace. Thank you. Way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Thank you. I'm glad that that shows outward today. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, um, how, okay. So I guess I should start with this. So I, I, I found you while trying to make sense of a relationship that I was moving through and your videos are just, okay. So they're very like, they always have like a, like a number in them, like five things to like recognize or 10 things to, to do. And so it was really step-by-step, which part of my mind really appreciates um and the videos are on how to navigate queer relationships yeah. um they're really straightforward you're really straightforward and so I really appreciated that and it reminded me that um at least in in, in my life I can get really lost in the sauce of like the the energetics of it the feelings of it and there's certain basic things about what we need in a relationship that yes. need to be the anchor points <laughs> of course, of course. Um, yeah um, yeah there are a lot of things that we tend to overlook when we're in a relationship and sometimes it depends on our personality or past experiences you see so just listening to somebody say these basic things can really go a long way for people in, in that situation it does. It really does. So that's, that's, I just want to say thank you for those videos. I'm going to put a link um, in the show notes so that people can go find those videos. Um, so the first question is, how has embracing your queerness strengthened or weakened your Cameroonian African Black pride? Well, Embracing my queerness, uh, by the way, I would just like to say that the thoughts expressed during this podcast are all mine and do not represent any organization or individual that I work with. So back to the question, the embracing my queerness, um, you know, did a lot of wonders for me mentally. Um, it freed me. Um, it made me, um, you know, it helped me find because being open helped me find other people that they were like me. 
However, being open has also then brought things like uh, other Cameroonians saying, um, you know, I'm not Cameroonian enough as a, because I'm queer. Or people from my tribe, I'm from this tribe consort, which is Northwest region of Cameroon, saying that uh, you are no longer one of us because you're queer. And we don't know this. We've, we, don't, we don't see this within the tribe, you see. So um, I still feel proud as a Cameroonian. I still feel um, I am 100%. So I feel like that's my bed right. Anyways, you, can, you can't take it away from me. But there are people who feel like I shouldn't identify as a Cameroonian or I shouldn't identify as someone from sort because of my sexuality, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for going into more detail with that with that answer. Um, I think that it's important to kind of because like in in the queer community that I'm coming from, um, uh, I should say like black, black queerness, family is so important to us. Yes. Um, and we get that from how it was when we did live in Africa. Yes. Yes. So when, when we, um, when we lose our family due to something that is so inherent to our nature, yeah. At like it, there's a there's a tearing there that happens, at least in, in my heart, there was like such a deep tearing. And it um I came to my queerness later on in life. And so there actually had to be like a lot of restructuring of what it meant to be black <laughs> for <Yeah>. me. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I, I feel you there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean it was the same thing for me as well. It, I had to, it was like everything, um, you know, got blown away and I had to restructure it. Um, I had to structure my relationships with families, with friends, what to talk about, what not to talk about, um, what conversations to engage in. Because sometimes we were like, when are you going to find a husband and stop this nonsense? That you're, <laughs> you know, this lesbian nonsense, you know, so you, you have to then um, consider those things. Um, there's also um, celebrating friends publicly. I then became a bit aware of the fact that sometimes just simply posting somebody by and saying happy birthday, dear, you know, you've been a good friend would then uh, mean that uh, people would start suspecting them of being um, part of the LGBTQ community and might treat them bad. So it, there were so many moving parts that I had to restructure after I came out, you know, so many, too many parts, to be honest. There's too many parts. You, you shouldn't have to do that. I never even thought about that of like the assumption that pe- other people are gay just by being. <laughs> this is starting to make sense why some friends like. <laughs> Don't post me, please. Don't post me. <laughs> yes, yes. Ah, yes. okay. Mm, oh, what a tangled web we are as human beings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so so we talked about your videos before, um, but in one of your videos, uh, you talk about not experiencing being Black until you move to the UK. Um, are there commonalities between your experiences of being queer in Cameroon with your experiences of being Black in the UK? 
Um, about that, Cameroon is majority uh, black, isn't it? We're all black mm-hmm. there. Um, I've never had to. I've never had somebody whilst in Cameroon describing me as the that black lady. You see, because everybody is black, and it would make no sense to say that black girl or that black lady. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I didn't think about race because I lived in, in you know amongst people who looked like me. You see, I didn't have to think about race at that time as well. But when I moved to the UK, um, everything changed, you know, around my skin color, the politics around my skin color, um, the hate towards my skin color, um, the assumptions, stereotypes, you know. So it it took me a while to adjust to this uh, weight line of thinking, by the way. And I didn't understand it until other Africans helped me understand it. I didn't understand why I went to Primark at the time I was a student. I went to Primark and uh, the security guard was following me around. I didn't understand why I went to the park with friends because uh, one of one of them, I think was a niece, had a birthday as well. So we were out in the park celebrating and just having fun. And somebody and the lady was shouting, go back to Africa. And I'm thinking, I came here as an international student. I'm spending money in this country. Why are you asking me to? Why are you asking me to go back to Africa? She's like, I didn't understand all these things. It took me a while to adjust and then um, see them from another point of view. Um, one of the things that I would like to point out is the way Black Americans like yourself see race and racism is different from the way we, we, we see it. Um, I don't know how a lot of your listeners would take this, but there's a lot of things that you guys consider cultural misappropriation, I think. Isn't it? Um, it depends on what you're talking about. I just continue talking. <laughs> yeah. so that, I, that wouldn't necessarily offend me. You understand? But I would probably feel more offended if somebody said something bad about Africa. Does it make sense? Uh, okay. So are you talking about like when white people use um, African-American vernacular? Yeah, or- things like that. That wouldn't, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be quick to pick it up like you guys do, but mm. yes. So it took me a while. So it took me a while to, to then adjust mentally to what is accepted and what is not accepted. Uh, the hair touching thing. I didn't know it was a thing. <laughs> I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> if somebody, if, you, if, 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 if uh, an English person met me back home and said, Oh, I like your hair. Can I touch it? I would let them touch it mentally. It didn't, I didn't connect that to a much more bigger uh, picture. That makes sense. So, yeah. So comparing my being queer and blackness in the UK, um, I guess in the UK, in, in back home, I, I wasn't openly queer. I was in the closet. Uh, my relationships were very private. Like it was on a need to know basis. Um, you could you can only also know other uh, LGBTQ people if you're part of the community and I wasn't that immersed in the community at the time as well um I mean there was a lot of there's a lot of violence around being queer in Cameroon I, I think some of you might know that listening um so I wasn't as uh, open however in the UK the racism that I felt I think that was a question isn't it comparing my blackness and queerness in Cameroon to well yeah are there any like overlaps and just having to because in my experience just two two worlds like not being fully black or not being fully queer they they have to be separated and when you throw it's just yeah (laughs) it's complex 
uh, oh okay so yeah whilst in the uk anyways um i when i came out or when i started moving towards the lgbt plus community looking for my tribe i experienced racism so um i think i mentioned in that video that i was a bit shocked that people who um have experienced marginalization would marginalize others you know um i was also thrown back by how um some english people treat foreigners now if you came to my country or you came to my household and you were a foreigner would give you the best bed the best everything i didn't know that before i came to the uk i assumed that <laughs> you know just because i'm a foreigner here you know people were willing to help show me places you know, you know what i mean like because yeah. of that communal upbringing that i had I, I I didn't know about the UK being individualistic and all these thoughts about black people coming in and taking their jobs or things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's <laughs> you, you, you bring up a really good, like a couple of really good points. Um, so starting with like the, the way that people who are not from our country are viewed like I think that that's very much a part of whiteness of like this like fear or like you want to separate them um whereas in other countries um and not all countries but in some other countries um like Mm -hmm. you're welcomed like we want to make you feel as if um you 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 belong here because you might be a blessing. My auntie was says like you never know when you're entertaining entertaining an angel. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, that is like a huge a huge difference. Um, and then when it comes to like the cultural um, part of like being black and like being raised in a Western society, I think that that's something that um, I need to keep digging into and like looking within myself because we are not a silo like black people like yes I celebrate the black diaspora it's beautiful but in that black diaspora there are so many ways in which we experience life so what's gonna offend one person might not another (laughs) so this is definitely not meant to be like a silo thing like white people can't take this to be like oh this is how I should act toward all black people or all black queer people it's so nuanced and so I really appreciate you bringing that up thank you for that yeah yeah um so going back to um being from Cameroon um and your experiences there uh where do you think anti-queerness comes from within the continent of Africa um I mean colonization you know it's 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 the um i mean pre-colonial africans um experienced sexual diversity you know um it was queerness was some sort of a ritual in some communities in some communities um for example um uganda where you have um where you had a queer or bisexual king you know, um, um, in some traditions, women were allowed to 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 um, marry other women. Uh, female, so they had female husbands in some traditions, like the Igbo uh, tribe in Nigeria. Um, 
in in the Dagaba tribe of uh, modern day um, Ghana. Um, you had um, um, sexual, sorry, gender was based on energy as opposed to um, anatomy. You understand? So, and then colonization came uh, with very rigid uh, gender binaries, um, you know, telling Africans what to do and how to see themselves, erasing people who didn't fit into these Western uh, um, rigid uh, genders, you understand? So colonization has done a lot of things for Africa. It has done a lot of bad things for Africa. Um, I remember one of those videos as well, where I mentioned that when I came to the UK and I was part of the queer community where I experienced racism, and um, within the black community where I experienced uh, homophobia, it left me feeling like maybe I don't belong to any of this, or maybe I have conflicting identities. It was. It's only after I started uh, learning the queer African history that I realized that was a continuation of my ancestors, as opposed to some being something foreign, you know, which really helped me a lot mentally. So yes, um, some of these, some of the anti. Um, uh, laws across Africa is a hangover from colonization. You know, um, um, again, I mentioned that Uganda had a, a, a queer king. However, in Uganda now, they have one of the uh, toughest laws against the LGBT community in Africa. So you can see how, you know, colonization ruined us in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you for giving all of those examples. Um, yeah, I feel that dissonance too of like, there's, so in a lot of, um, I would say my my experiences with folks um, in the U.S. who are trying to get back to their, their African roots, trying to um, reclaim pride um, in, in their culture, um, pre and post colonization and being stolen. Um, there is a lot of talk and centering of like black Kings and black Queens. Um, and there's no, there's, it's very rigid in that, in that mindset. And there's also, um, still talk around queerness being a way of, um, a, a tool of of white people to take away our power and to separate the black you know the black household to um demasculinize black men and it, it's it's kind of a mind fuck honestly because <laughs> because yeah after yeah doing the research you're like no we were queer people yeah but I, I i see where that is coming from i see where that conversation is coming from um, I think I recently learned about the the, the uh, sexual violence against slaves, isn't it? Yes. Where uh, yes. men were raped in front of their families. So I see where how that can be then, um, you know, to change. The narrative can be changed, you mm-hmm. see. But um, again, um, I, I recently had a conversation uh, as part of an event because uh, in the UK, uh, October is... Um, the Black History Month, as opposed to February, I think, in the US. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I recently had a conversation where um, I, one of the 
audience members was talking about, no, you know, this has not been part of us, it's been imported. And I was like, no, what was imported to Africa is homophobia. Homosexuality has always been part of us. We have always lived amongst, um, you know, everyone else uh, without any issues. However, when, 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 when colonialists and the missionaries came, things changed, you know. Um, um, just, just again to mention, for, if, to anybody who wants to do some research, the queer king that I mentioned from Uganda is King Mwanga of the uh, Dagaba <laughs> tribe. So anybody who wants to, to, to ch- look it up can look it up. Um, you can also check um, uh, Queen Zinga. There's a lot about her. Um, she had a harem of, of, of women and men. Um, and she also had men dress up as, as women. Um, you know, the way so, you say that, it's been, it's been, it's, it's, it, that's how we have been. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have, um, you have, um, I think, I don't, I can't remember the tribe actually, but the Langi, uh, men in the Langi tribe, that's uh, post uh, pre colonial men in the Langi tribe, were socially accepted as women. They could do, you know, social, they could do, uh, duties or chores that were co- often assigned to women. And they could marry men as well. And they were very much free in society. So this conversation, I, I do understand the, the sexual violence against our people, um, which happened during slave trade. But we can't erase uh, this history of our people, yeah. this queer history, based on that alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that what's what it kind of comes down to. Like, I see the pattern of, like, there's just been so much harm done to the the spiritual and physical body of black people across the diaspora and so reclaiming like we need to we need to and other people white people um need to do the work of like really sifting through that and what it means like where was the where did the tearing happen and how are how are the ways in which we're reclaiming our blackness possibly still there's residue you said something about a hangover like a hangover of color and I was like yes that part like that how is that hangover you know, still laws. playing out yeah. yeah the laws the laws the violence the current violence the laws because most of the laws were put in place by uh Britain you know uh, and then they're being uphold by uh the current government for whatever reason so yeah it's a hangover from from the past that's such a good way of putting that <laughs> I'm gonna put that in my thought bank um, yeah. So what are some ways you can navigate being LGBTQIA plus in a country with anti-queer laws? Well, in Cameroon, I, I tell this story all the time. When I was in Cameroon, I didn't outrightly ask a girl out. I'll just do nice things for her until she realizes that maybe, you know, there's some... <laughs> There's more to this. I'm not just being a friend. I want to, you know, <laughs> have some ass. <laughs> you can use that some language here. But yeah, um, so that's what I did. Um, one of the things I have to say as well is there are a lot of communities online now. Um, you can um, come online. If you follow somebody like me, for example, you would, you would see who is queer friendly and who is not queer friendly through my comment section. But I have to warn you, some of them are just, creating a it's just like a trap so that when you come to them they would out you so you need to be really careful um um, who you go to um a lot of things a lot of activities in Cameroon are very much on the ground 
um, you have to know somebody to know somebody to introduce you to where you can feel be safe and where you can feel seen and celebrated. Um, I would say there's a lot of blackmailing as well going on, some, sometimes by community members, you know, um, if if you're if you're currently experiencing that you can also reach out you can reach out to community leaders like myself and other people as well because we have a way of dealing with that sort of issue since um we can't go to the police and things are just a bit weird you know what i mean difficult to handle um but yeah i think that's what that's the only thing that i can think of at the moment but yeah 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 um <laughs> i'm there's a couple of things that came to mind when you were, when you were speaking, like one, like how many like steps you have to go through in order to like express your like love for someone. Um, and also like find community, like, um, (laughs) it's just, it's confusing. Like even like here, um, I, I grew up in the Midwest, um, Mm like it gets really confusing when you like someone and you can't just like tell them you don't feel safe enough to tell because then it's confusing for them because they're like well I thought because I've definitely had women who I'm like no I actually like like you and they're like oh I thought this was just how you were like wanting to be friends and um, no (laughs) um (laughs) I've changed I've now switched up how I do things so it's a lot more clear but um (laughs) um but just in having to do that, it really does kind of, it, it, for me, it makes me like really confused with like signals from, from, from people. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know, <laughs> like, I'm not sure. And I feel sometimes hesitant in asking because I don't want to like put people in an awkward situation. And so like, as you talk, I'm like, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, sometimes um, for safety reasons, um, I tell a lot of people who follow me is to start up a conversation around uh, LGBTQ issues. You know, if they're very homophobic, then, um, you know, they might not be the best person to ask out. If you wanted to ask them out. However, I've also learned that, I've also learned in the past that sometimes people, um, want to be homophobic publicly because they are masking something inside. I mean, there's a lot they they want to take attention from who they are, you know, in, whilst in the closet. Um, but yeah, it's to, to be honest, it's a very difficult place thing to navigate, especially in a place where it's um, people are um, uh, homophobic. But I, I guess in the UK, if I was in the closet, I'll probably just ask them, "How's your boyfriend or how's your girlfriend?" <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> and, Yes, whatever they say, then I would know. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. Um, I think <laughs> here it might be confusing because, like, especially depending on the age range, because some people call their friends their girlfriends. And this gets me now, like, when I'm talking to my mom or to, like, older people, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go out with my girlfriend. And I'm like, wait, you're gay? <laughs> and then I have to remind myself uh-huh. I'm black in the uh-huh. U.S. That means something different. <laughs> exactly Um, yeah yeah but I love that suggestion of like asking about their viewpoints on LGBTQ folk like like their political viewpoints or like bringing that up in a conversation in a way that kind of like removes you from being the centerpiece of that conversation I think that's a that's a wonderful like 
wonderful, wonderful suggestion. Um, and asking about like their relationships too. It gives you a little tidbit into mate if they're single or not, which is helpful. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. I, I dig that. I dig that. Um, and I'm still, I'm sorry. I'm still, I'm, I, I was going to move on to the next question, but I'm still thinking about like, just like what you've said so far and still like, kind of like taking it in and I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm always humbled talking to black folks who are not from the U S because it just continuously reminds me that like my experience is not the only black experience. Yes. Yes. And I would like to, I would like to really thank you for mentioning that because I have been around people who are not from Africa and um, the line of thinking, it's like, they're almost wanting me to think like them. I should be offended by this. I should be. And I'm like, we don't have the same experiences, you know? And the way I see myself is even though we might share the same skin color and a lot of things, to be honest, that have been passed down. There's some things that, unfortunately, we can't think about them the same, you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Oh, there's certain experiences that have shaped you and I that are not exactly the same. So, it, of course, it would affect the way I think about or see other things, isn't it? You know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and actually, maybe that's a good lead into something a little bit more lighthearted, just dating other black folks who might um, might be from a different country than you or different continent. So what are some funny differences you've experienced dating black women raised in Western countries versus Cameroonian women? Um, Let me see. There are a lot of differences. First of all, I like like my food, you know, so the food thing might be a bit different. Um, Our level of spice you know, might be a bit different, but the food is almost similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <Okay>. what? <laughs> I think I'm like all these things I love, but then I forget you're in the UK. You're dating different. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think um, we're culturally, when I did a woman who is black, but not um, Cameroonian, some of the, we have some of some cultural differences. For example, I I was flirting with a girl once who was raised here in the UK. And uh, the only thing we had in common is that we had the same skin color. She reasoned and uh, thought about things like an English person. So we didn't really have much in common, even though we're we're two black women. Um, Also, one of the things that have become very clear to me is the individual the way people think here in the UK, women think in the UK, they're very individualistic as opposed to the communal um, style that I'm used to, isn't it? Um, For example, now I used to date a girl and something happened back home and I said I had had to contribute money um, and things like that. And she was like, why, why, why? And I'm like, well, that's what you do. If somebody passed away, uh, they might not be my immediate, uh, you know, nuclear family, like my brother, sister, or, you know, but it might be a cousin of a cousin and I would have to still contribute because that's what we do. We're a community. We come together and we do these things. But um, that person is think is thinking like, oh, that's not your business. That shouldn't be your responsibility. You shouldn't be doing that. 
you understand so that was a, a really uh, a big difference as well for me and which then meant that if somebody like a cousin or a second cousin or a third cousin passed and I was um, or something happened and I was worried about it they would not understand why I'm, I am worried about it or why I'm so emotional about it you understand which meant I didn't get the support I needed through that uh, period as well um the other thing is i guess is money around money conversations around money you know um and i don't know if it's just the women have uh, been around or that's how every other person thinks um for example for example now if i was seeing a girl and she wasn't working i would support her because that's what you do. You 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 um you support people around you. You support family, support friends. You understand? That's what we do. Again, the communal upbringing. But then, then I realized in the UK that um, there's certain expectations. Like um um for example, there's there's, there's quite there's a, a joke that we always uh, make uh, within the African community that a lot of white people have money to go on holidays and do all these uh, extra uh, activities because their money is their money. They don't have to. Uh, spending on a cousin give the younger sisters and stuff like that and i think black americans you guys have the same experience as well where we have to contribute towards a household or things like that isn't it so yeah so i think again that's the that's um, a huge difference that I, I i experienced um what are some of the experiences again the cultural shock some of the cultural shocks like for example now i i was with a girl who didn't talk to the mom um, which I, which to be honest, is not a bad thing because apparently mom was toxic. You understand, but culturally, you would still be expected to speak to your parents. You know, they see your parents. Um, they, you, you might, uh, how you navigate the relationship might change, but they're still your parents. You understand? You, you, you again. We, we, we think about um, life as a collective, as opposed to me, 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 me. I'm not talking to this person. I'm not doing that. We are not doing that you know so and and again it also also that um by the way i want to bring this up i want to really um bring this up as well so for example now um i have based on individualistic society and a communal upbringing that i had i have met people who didn't understand why i can't just cut homophobic family members off you understand because to them they're used to being individuals but to me that has always been part of my network that is my it's like Cutting my, my arms off, isn't it? You understand? So uh, it takes a while. So sometimes I, I see a lot of activists saying, oh, yeah, just cut them off. Just cut. It, it's, it doesn't work like that. We think as a community. We, we breed as a community. We, we celebrate as a community. So imagine having to just give that up immediately. That's, it's, not, it's not possible, isn't it? So, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> there is. So, mm. Yes. Um. Yeah, you mentioned that it's similar in um, African American um, community. I would say that like now it's 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 definitely moving away from that, and I think it's something that is helping and harming our like our community in different ways. Um, but that is so important. What you're saying about individualistic mindset versus communal, like I, I, there's such a <laughs> Um, there's something about that that is like so integral integral to what keeps um, like communities going um, mm-hmm. 
and, and and I'm still like trying to find the ways of like finding a happy medium between like yes. um, healthy boundaries with yes. a lot of family members who are toxic and like <laughs> yes. yeah yeah <laughs> I, I, I think no mindset yeah I think it's essential to find a balance but asking somebody who is used to that sort of upbringing to just cut people off is not the best solution because it can mm. it can cause more harm to them mentally than anything else you understand mm-hmm. so finding a balance is best and also doing it gently you can't just uproot somebody who is used to all these things and then want them to be idealistic the loneliness of it all would probably kill them you know? yeah absolutely um like you said it's like cutting off your hands like you can't you can't just do that um and this and this can go into like the next question of like how um how you can support um you know a a partner who who might be from a different culture than you in navigating um their queerness and their like relationship with their family but um what I what I have learned from my experiences is that like um it's not about for me like removing completing completely cutting people off like I've done that in my life and I've what I've actually learned from dating um dating someone who was black but in a um but from but from a different country is that um I, I do have capacity and the ability to incorporate my, my family into my life um, in ways that really honor that the, the, the family, the family bond um, that I think is different than how I would say like white mental health, mainstream Western culture thinks about um, things about boundaries. Um, so but what, what what's hard for me is like, how do you, as a partner, support your partner um, who might have different cultural um, viewpoints in like creating a family that reflects something different while also being a part of their family? I think we all have to navigate dealing with each other's families. <laughs> so what has been your experience? Like, how do you find happy mediums and how do you support your partners who might come from other cultures? Um, I think the first thing is 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 noting the differences that you all have, you know, is um, also um, understanding that some of these things are important to them because there's a difference between something happening differently in the other tribe and it being important to your partner. If your partner says that's important to them, it's important to them. If it's important for them to stay in touch with their family, even though family might be homophobic, then it's important to them. You understand? Um, I think one of the things that I have tried to do in the past is to find a common ground as well, whilst uh, noting the differences. Um, Maybe um, food is a big uh, icebreaker, isn't it? Maybe I try out things from their own culture um, and find something that I actually like so we can share that uh, thing in common. And then I can also introduce her to things from my own culture, like food, and she might decide if she, you know, she'll decide whatever one she prefers. Um, also, just trying to learn, if, if, for example, if they speak another language, for, for example, my, my first language is Lamsa, learning how to say uh, thank you, which is Beiru, 
in in her language uh, in her local uh, language goes a long way you understand it actually shows that you're interested you you you're not trying to erase them whatever for whatever reason that because so, some people feel erased in relationships you understand um yes um one of the things that i did because i used to date a scottish girl <laughs> a very long time ago i don't know if you appreciate me uh dropping that during this podcast but that's my truth i guess um yes. <laughs> one of, yeah one of the things that i did was to visit where she's from you know and it, it gave me a, a clearer picture of who she is as a person and why certain things you know thought processes uh, might be the way they are you see so if you can visit if you're dating a girl from cameroon nigeria if you can visit cameroon or nigeria then by all means do visit cameroon and nigeria um when starting a family i would say try to bring in um from both ends because you can't if if you just bring out your own culture and ignore the other person's culture they'll feel like the power dynamics changes in the relationship they'll feel like they're not being represented in that relationship so bring in um things from from both cultures that you all like you see uh for example now christmas is celebrated in africa a a bit differently we have in Cameroon, for example, we have something that's called ching ching. We do popcorn and stuff like that. So, if I was dating a girl from uh, maybe another um, uh, culture, um, we can have the round table stuff, but on that table, we can also have things from my um, culture that I like or that, I, I, that are part of my Christmas celebrations on that table. So, I, I can feel represented on that table as well. So, yeah, to be honest, it's try try to engage try to understand why they think this way and mm-hmm. again like i mentioned like maybe a cousin might die or a second cousin or third cousin and they're sending money back home and then you're asking why are you sending money back home? why are you doing this you have to understand that from them is the communal upbringing that they have that is making them behave that way so when you understand that you understand other things and then you also have to understand that you have to support them through that you know, maybe it's financially or emotionally. You have to. Uh, for example, in Cameroon, um, if somebody passed and um, let's say you're my girlfriend, for example, um, um, we would have to contribute as a household. You know, you and I have a household now. So we have to. So we'd have to say probably if we're using my surname, it would be the, uh, the Banadzims. This is from the Banadzims. You understand? So you, you do get contributions like that. Or you do get gifts um, sent out or maybe like food or a courtesy visit from you and I or from one person representing uh, the household. You understand? So that's what we do. So you have to support that person through that emotional process. When you don't, that person can feel like, oh, maybe this is a bit too much. You know, um, and when you don't as well, sometimes they feel like they can't talk to you about these things, about these feelings, because you then start asking them, but is it cousin? Is it this? Is it that? You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for that. So first thing, have you ever made any like fusion dishes? Like yeah. how, yeah. how they turn out? Really good. I do them all the time. <laughs> I do them all the time. Really good. Actually, really good. Um, I think this is something that I found in the UK called the chili can carne or something like that. I make it a bit differently. I add more spices in. I eat it with things that the public wouldn't think about. Like, for example, they eat it in the UK with rice. I eat sometimes with plantain. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you do like fried plantain? Yes, fried plantain, boiled plantain, 
plantain porridge, that's what it's called. I do. <laughs> I love my food, by the way. <laughs> Me too. I feel you. Um, I have not tried boiled like plantain or like plantain porridge. I'm gonna have to try that. I'm gonna have to try that. Um, okay, now I'm just thinking about food. Let me go back to what I was going to say. Oh, yes. Okay. So w- when you were talking about um, like being really supportive of your partner and their relationship with their family um, and, and just uh, really trying to understand like their culture and seeing them as a full person um, mm-hmm. and not just trying to assume <laughs> Yeah. that they they feel the same way as you I think that that's so important for any any relationship um and I think to add to that I I find that um as someone who's black and queer um mm-hmm. who's still trying to like figure out their own mm-hmm. like anti-queerness within um mm-hmm you have to first like understand what your boundaries are and what your desires are and, mm-hmm. and make sure that it aligns with your partner. But then also there has to be some sort of understanding of what your capacity is to allow your, your partner and yourself to experience that shit. Like you're going to see and hear your partner do some things that you're just like, man, that really hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm also a firm believer that um, if your partner's boundaries don't match your boundaries, there's no need being together, you know? Mm. So you, because people come together and then they, they're not compatible and they start having these expectations, you see? So if they don't match, you don't have to be together. You can find your, your separate ways and, and stuff like that. Um, if there are things that you can live with, you can sacrifice then that's okay. You understand? Because, uh, I mean, it's one thing, for example, now, I wouldn't say that I met an English person who's been through the uh, um, some terrible things with their family. You understand? And then, uh, I, I, I'm, and then on the other hand, uh, it, hypothetically, my family doesn't accept me as a queer person. Then I, I but I constantly go back to them, which uh, my English partner would find, find a bit harmful. And my English partner is like, because you're dealing with this, I have to deal with it as well. Can you not just cut them off? Personally, I can't just cut them off. Do you understand? Owing to my, you, you understand, I, I might do it in a, in a slower pace as, um, as expected by the English uh, partner. You understand? So um, she, she doesn't have to be with me because that's the trigger for her. Seeing the way my family treats me will be a trigger for her. So she doesn't have to be with me. Again, sometimes you also meet people where... Uh, uh, when they are, are still in at a very weird stage of their journey, you understand, or a very unique stage of their journey where they're trying to withdraw from the from the family, draw uh, draw boundaries, but they're not clear enough yet because they're still trying to figure it out. You understand? Ask the English person. Maybe if I'm too far back in my journey as well, you can also just say that maybe this is not for me. But when I figured it out, we can try again. You understand? So, because sometimes when you say that, oh, people have to uh, accommodate others, they have to think about uh, other cultures um, and, 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 and try to see how they can come in and support. Sometimes people are not in a place where they can support you, you know, and that's okay. So you don't have to be together, you know. Ah, where is the wisdom? Yes. Uh, thank you for that. That was, like I said, just like clear, like 
the basics, the basics. That's what's up. Thank you, Kiki. Um, so last, no, I'm going to, I'm going to try to sneak in two more questions. I'm going to try to, okay. So if you were to go back to Cameroon in 10 years, what would you hope to see? Um, the first thing I would, I would go to is my mom's grave. She passed in 2017 whilst on the UK. So I've not seen the grave yet. So I've not said um, my goodbyes yet. Um, the second thing that I would hope to see is to see um, queer people more visible and not afraid. So I want to be able to go into a, a gay bar and people are having fun and just being themselves. <laughs> you know, um, a lot of people listen to this that come in and be like, it's not going to happen. But I'm hoping it happens in my lifetime you know um the other thing that i would like to see is to see um people from sort especially document their culture you know for my tribe i feel like a lot of um stories that have been told about africa and sort has been written by foreigners who sometimes don't understand the depth and the source of that culture and what it means you see um, with that, I, I just wanted to throw this in as well to uh, Black Americans who like to, um, you know, go back to their roots as an African roots. Please, when you read a book, who writes the person who the writer of the book or the author of the book is essential. You can't just read any book. You know, that's what you call uh, the cultural iceberg. Sometimes the observer is writing from the level one. Level one is things that are very clear like the food, the way people speak, the accent and things like that. The second level is a bit uh, deeper and you have to immerse yourself to be able to write something that is authentic, um, that is true as well, you understand. And then there's a third level as well, where you, you, so it, you, who you, where you're reading, the books you read, they have to be very careful again. So, you know. So yeah, I would like to see some sort of people document things, the, the recipes, uh, our stories, um, maybe tell a story about, because I, I come from a tribe where the founder is an, a matriarch, Gonzo, so a woman founded my tribe, which I'm very proud of, by the way. So I would like to see that documented. I don't want to, in the future, I don't want any second guessing. Um, for example, like we're, we're doing now with the uh, pre-colonial uh, queer history, because it wasn't documented per se. Um, I also want to to probably, which is something that I want to work on, is to tell these painful and violent queer stories so that when things change, we never forget that this is how it was and this is how it is now. You understand? Because maybe in the future, they'll start saying, that, oh, no, we are not homophobic. We're not. You were. <laughs> so I want to see a lot of that documented. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um... May all those things happen. They're happening. You're already on the process of doing that with your with your YouTube channel. So again, links will be below. Um, and with that, I think we'll 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 go into like, yeah, what are you working on with your channel? How are you expanding? Where can we find you? All of that good stuff. Well, I am Bandikiki on all social media platforms. Um, you can find me on YouTube, you know, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I am currently working on something that I don't want to really go into the details now. because I don't know when it will be completed yet. So I don't want to really talk about it. But yeah, with my YouTube channel, um, I'm planning on bringing people to tell their story. Um, I want to tell queer African stories because a lot of people have mentioned that 
when they come on YouTube, they see stories from Black people who are not necessarily African, and sometimes there are differences um, within those ex- with those experiences. So they want to hear from a queer African. So I want to 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 do um, more of that by bringing people to share their stories. Um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of like trying to rebrand for next year. So a lot of things will be done a bit differently. Certain things will be addressed differently. Um, I have somebody who's who's said who has told me that I, I shouldn't waste time on trolls, social media trolls. But I feel like sometimes is an educative moment. You know, you can t- use opportunity to educate them. But I guess that a lot of that will change um, um, next year. Um, what am I doing next year again? Or oh, what am I doing new or? This, well, this right after like... this, you're going to get some food. <laughs> oh, yes. I know it's next year, but right after. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm super hungry now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's 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 wrap it up then. Um, yeah. All the links will be below. You are doing mm-hmm. some amazing, brave things—things things that we shouldn't have to be brave for. But you out here and you're doing it. So thank you so much, Kiki, for, again, sharing your words of wisdom on this podcast, but then all the work you do. Um, so, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. You have amazing, amazing energy. I love it. Very relaxed. You almost, because I tend to speak really fast, <laughs> you're almost calming me down, <laughs> you know. That's it, y'all. That's our show. Big thank you to Cloud Stokely for providing their song, Lo-Fi Beats, to contemplate YT supremacy on season three. Your music is a whole vibe, fam. And thank you for your continued support, y'all. Keep pleasuring yourselves. Ten Tiny Talks is a global, non-traditional artist-in-residency based in the Northwest, focusing on the Black, Indigenous, trans, gender non-conforming, two-spirit and queer creatives. We'd like to congratulate our 2021 recipients, Belinda Rose, A.C. Ramirez de Ariano, Kareem Jackson, Cloud Stokely, Calisto Nanan, D&D Productions, Nick Labonte, Zinni Opio, Marla Darling, and Mick Stalia de Lubel. You are the definition of excellence. Go to cravetheater.org to meet the artists.